0: personally welcome each one of you to our program today at Berkeley Evangelistic Association. We're on lesson number eight, and this one is going, uh, going to be dealing with uh, pessimism and cynicism within the church. The title is Christian Cynicism. Is it a spiritual sickness? Now, we need to have a vital faith that is without illusions, and when we speak of success and failure we have to refer to the individual attitude. Are we optimistic or are we pessimistic? Many people today are pessimistic about many things in life, and to them there's just problem after problem after problem all around every corner. And life just doesn't seem to work out the way they want it to. But many others are optimistic, and they take each day is a positive and not a negative. Now these words that you will see quite frequently uh, throughout this, this chapter, or here actually through this chapter, and there will be a PDF file on Sermon Audio for you to download and read if you if you care to. And uh, you will see these words, and I'm going to uh, read them here de- defining them. And the first one we're going to look at is Cynicism, and it's a cynical quality of disposition. The main thing is distrustful of human nature. It distrusts human nature. Doubting or contemptuous of human nature or of the motives, the goodness, or sincerity of others. It's sarcasm, sarcastic, mocking, scornful, or sneering. Cynical remarks to cover up disappointment. The second word we'll look at is pessimism. And this is a tendency to expect the worst out of something, a tendency to see only the negative or worst aspects of all things and to uh, expect only bad or unpleasant things to happen. So we could actually say that pessimism and cynicism are brother and sister because they have such a a, uh, likeness between the two of them. And the third word we'll be looking at is disillusionment, and that's a loss of uh, false belief, disappointment caused by a frustrated idea or belief, and you could also call it a disillusion. Okay, so before we get into this too deeply, we want to have our opening prayer, and then we'll get right back to our study. So let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the day that you've given us, Lord, and all your blessings in life, Lord, each day that you bless us with something new and something that we need. You help us along the way, Lord, as we struggle through life, uh, dealing with the the things that come to us, Lord, and sometimes we become pessimistic about things because we don't see the answer, but you are always optimistic because you know the answer to all of our questions. Father, help us and teach us through your wisdom to learn to trust in you and to wait on you and that you answer the question for us instead of us going out on our own. Father, I thank you for this ministry and all the people that are listening today. Father, be with them. Bless their families and their loved ones, Lord. Give them your hedge of protection, Lord, and and lead them and guide them and bring them closer to Jesus. And Father, as always... The meaning for this whole purpose is to lift you up, praising you, worshiping you, because you deserve all of our praise and worship. We lift up the name of Jesus, and we pray that if anyone's there today that doesn't know Jesus, we pray today would be the day that they would make that decision for their salvation. Father, help them, uh, convict them to repentance through the Holy Spirit. And we give you the praise and glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So pessimism is rampant in our secular culture, more so than one might realize. It flourishes among Christians as well. Christians have pessimism and cynical ideas as well. Some of the ones would be where a prominent church might be expanding its borders if you will or or building a a new building project and there'll be pessimistic people within the ranks wanting to know how uh how how the the uh, church is going to pay and bring the funds in to pay for the structure or whatever it is they're doing and they are trusting in the abilities of the pastor or the or the uh the other members of the church when they need to be trusting in god god provides the way to pay for new buildings and structures and and there's just, just no um, no way that man can act and be like god man can't make anything happen uh spiritually speaking and god is the one that draws people to his church he causes the growth so many people, Christians and non-Christians alike, have a dislike for the church, whether it be overall or Pacific, And this is because they expect it to be a perfect organization, which it's not. And just because it's called the house of God does not mean that it's perfect. God is perfect. The church is in the world, and it will be full of people of the world. And all the people in the world are exposed to sin because sin is in the world. So the house of God does not mean that it is a perfect structure. Now, folks, the church is perfect in the spiritual aspect, okay? Speaking specifically of Jesus because he is the church. Now, the imperfectness comes from the people, like we just said, of attending the church. It is an untidy conglomeration of folks from all walks of life, each with a different idea of church operation, and all with a specific margin, of human error. All of us have a margin of human error, whether we want to admit it or not, we're not we're not perfect. There is no minority of people as far as the church is concerned. It applies as such we are a dysfunctional family of sinful siblings repeatedly failing and injuring one another. When we are in the church house, none of us has the right to say anything about our brothers and sisters within the church. Because we are all one of the sinful siblings that has failed in the eyes of God and we need the grace of God to be saved because we're all sinners. None of us are above the other no matter who they are or who it is. If you're a human being which I praise to God that you you are that uh, you're a sinful creature. And Christians are always having to nurse each other back to health because of the wounds they receive from one another by uh, talking and bickering at each other about who's better than who and so on and so on. We're all sinners, folks. God had to save you, he had to save me, he had to save everybody through the Lord Jesus Christ. None of us is above the other. Now, mostly these are heartfelt internal injuries and they're not physical. Okay, these injuries, you hurt somebody's feelings. That don't mean you had to punch them in the nose to do that. You hurt them because you said something that hurt their feelings. But it, and even though it's not physical, it's still very hurtful. It hurts in the heart. It breaks the heart. People want to know why someone would say something like that to them. And every, every uh, time I go to the church house, I see evidence of uh, such things throughout the church and I hear other pastors and people that I associate with uh, telling stories of how uh, members of their church have been hurt by something that somebody else says. We have to love one another and get along. None of us is better than the other. We're all sinners and need help. We need Jesus in our life. And in order to get a good dose of Jesus, we need to learn how to love one another. The descent into pessimism whether it's immediate or gradual, it all comes to the same conclusion, pessimistic disappointment. Now please understand an individual can be optimistic outside the church, especially around work or other familiar places, but within the church they're gravitated by a pessimistic attitude. So we must ask why? So many believers have slid into this dark pit and often become so disenchanted with the church that they just leave. They just give up and leave. In the Baptist faith, of which I am, there are thousands of Baptist churches across the country that have closed their doors. There are thousands and thousands of ministers, preachers, and especially pastors that were called by God to, to have that specific uh, job title in their lives and to do that if, in God's will, and they are changing their jobs. Why is this? Well, you know, you, you can't be a pastor of a church without members to fill the house of God, and this is the problem. How, how much negativity does it take to close the doors and cause a pastor to leave or have to get a different job. This pessimistic and this cynical attitude spreads quickly through the congregation, especially if there's not a balance of spirituality. Every church will have a certain amount of persons that are not on board with everybody else. That's the reason we're individuals. Each one of us have a different idea. So there has to be a balance of doers and non-doers Believers and non-believers, monetary uh, supporters and those that don't never support, and it is the spirituality of the ten percent that pray for the other ninety percent. But too too many times, the ideology of the church becomes something other than what the scripture describes. Members lose their reverence towards God. We start taking God for granted. We just come as we are, yet many many of these uh, that come to church uh, indecently, I call it, would never be caught wearing uh, in public the ridiculous T-shirt or outfits that they might have on that they feel it's okay to wear before God. You won't see them downtown uh, wearing those clothes. Why would you wear it to the God's house? Does not God deserve respect in the way that uh, we present ourselves towards him? You better believe he does. Now Moses was told by God, and this was uh, back when when Israel would first come out of Israel, uh, Egypt. Uh, Moses had them, and he consecrated the people that God told him to, and they were to wash their clothes and cleanse themselves, and what were not to come near their wives on the third day of, God came down to speak with Moses in front of all the people at Mount Sinai, and the mountain was covered in smoke and fire as a furnace. There were barriers set to uh, there were barriers set to keep the people or the animals from getting too close. If anyone or anything crossed the barrier, it was killed with an arrow or a spear. The people were so fearful that they told Moses, uh, "You go talk to God, and you can come back and tell us what he said." So why do you think that God is, do you, why do we think that God has changed? God hasn't changed. The God we serve is the same as in the days of Moses. Yet we seem to look at all this differently because of this uh, loose society that we're in. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I know there are many dear folks uh, that go to church and they wear what they have and that is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I know that people, everybody didn't wear a, a, a suit to, to church. I wear a suit sometimes, and other times I might wear blue jeans and a sports shirt. And so does other, other people. And that's not what I'm talking about. But when the Israelites came to Mount Sinai, keep in mind they didn't have designer clothes or anything like that likened to that either. But God told them, uh, what clothes you have, wash them. They should be clean. And cleanse yourself. Cleanse yourself. Is that too much to ask to come before God? When we go to God, we have lost our reverence. We've lost our our fear of him as, as reverence to him. We need to say to ourselves, this is God that we're coming before. And he deserves all of our respect and reverence that we can show to him. He deserves our praise and thanksgiving. In some cases, yes. He uh, he deserves all that we can give from every angle, because it is not the style nor the mental attitude of some people to go to church like this. So, are we proud to be identified with Christ? Are we proud to say I'm a Christian and God is my heavenly Father? Do we ask ourselves why would Jesus? What would Jesus do in this situation? You know, years ago, we had that saying where people said, just ask yourself, what would Jesus do? And people were doing that. And, uh, or would you be embarrassed or humiliated if anyone found out that you were a, a Christian and was following Jesus? Now, many Christians today listen to secular radio and laugh at their jokes about Christians or church tales that they make up, about the storytellers uh, do. And why is this? Why do they laugh at at the jokes that they make about the church? Because they want to identify themselves with the workers or people they are with. Okay? It's because if you don't identify yourself with them, you're going to uh, put a sign to yourself saying, I'm different, and they're going to want to know and ask questions, and you'll have to tell them you're a Christian, which they should know you're a Christian already, and they're disrespecting you by doing what they do, knowing that you are a Christian. So if they don't know that you're Christian, you need to tell them that you are. And then see if there's any difference in their attitude. Folks, James tells us in Scripture that we can't have it both ways. We cannot have it both ways. We cannot be citizens of this world. This world belongs to Satan. And may I remind you, he is the enemy. And also, we are citizens of another in another world, which is heaven, we are spiritual citizens in God's kingdom. The Bible teaches us that, even though our physical bodies here, we've been placed in heaven. We have been placed in heavenly places. Now, many times in a church service, people avoid displaying too much emotions. Even if the person feels like raising a hand or maybe saying "Amen," they won't do it. They are afraid someone might look down on them as being too charismatic. We have so blocked the power of the Holy Spirit. How do we ever expect to have a revival when we act as if we were ashamed to be a Christian to begin with? God must just God have mercy on us for this action because there's some people that are just this way. You know, the pessimistic Christian sometimes delights in watching his fellow believers tread or walk on life's misfortunes. Things happen to other people, and uh, they say something like, uh, you know, they finally got what they deserve. How, what, how do we say they got what they deserve? That Then we become judges. They place themselves as judges over others, of others. They know it is wrong, but they do it anyway. They have, to because they have to because they have no optimism, nor do they enjoy a positive attitude about anything. They are negative about life, and they make sure all others suffer the same. Many times the judged or the accused forsake their faith, and they leave the church because of the, of the cynicism or the pessimism of other people talking or saying things against them. Now, for obvious reasons, this anti-institutional attitude and this pessimism does not agree with or go well with the established church. These pessimistic Christians are therefore located on the outer reaches of Christian fellowship. This position allows them to be close enough to the church to criticize with amusement its mistakes yet maintaining a degree of allegiance to Jesus. Now let me say that again. This position allows them to be close enough to the church to criticize with amusement its mistakes, yet maintaining a degree of allegiance to Jesus. Now, may I tell you, at this point, this is totally against Scripture. You can't just have a degree of allegiance to Jesus. You must be aligned, aligned 100 percent with Christ, surrendering yourself and everything for Him. Now, these pessimistic cynics praise themselves for being realists, and they belittle others by unplugging or disassociating themselves from the institution, from the institutional church itself. Now, this is indeed cynical and ignorant on their behalf because their separation or disassociation with the church is in fact separation and disassociation with Jesus himself because the church belongs to Christ, Jesus. The church is the body of Christ and may I conclude by saying Jesus died, gave himself on the cross at Calvary for the church. So don't never think that the church is not belongs to Jesus because it is his church. Now, I know and realize that all this that has been said here thus far raises questions about these folks being misguided and dangerous. These pessimistic, cynical types are the very way they are mainly because they are wounded or frustrated because of some event that had happened to them in the church or maybe another Christian group and their edgy spirituality is evidence of their of the excuse me of this uh, spiritual these spiritual wounds and frustrations that have now become infected example if your body was injured and you ignored it and left it untreated or unprotected it would soon become infected and if not properly dealt with your very life could be in jeopardy Everybody knows that if you get sick or cut yourself, you do not want infection to come on you. You want to get treated and take care of it. So now having referred to all this, I think we can plainly see that at least in the body of the church, pessimism and cynicism is indeed a sickness. When a person is injured spiritually, they must seek spiritual healing. Now when we speak of healing, we usually just go, think of a doctor or the physical healing through, uh, through doctors and so forth, but in the arena of the church and within the body of Jesus Christ, we must seek spiritual healing through prayer and fasting. When people are suffering from brokenness and nothing is done to apply a healing, healing holy salve to treat their brokenness, it will soon turn into bitterness, which is indeed more difficult to overcome. Pessimism or cynicism leans towards a strong dislike or being distrustful of human nature and motives. Why is this? Mainly because some painful experience has provided the first-hand evidence for becoming distrustful, and it it most certainly hurts the individuals. Now, some of us, of course, have personalities that are more immune to cynicism than others. But it is important to note that full-blown cynicism or a very pessimistic attitude among Christians and towards God or the church is often triggered by a series of events or painful experiences that hurt them and eventually hindered their spiritual growth and and health. Another way or attempt to define cynicism and and pessimism is an embedded uh, disposition of distrust born Of painful disillusionment and building a pessimistic mountain of untruths because of simple, of a simple incident. Now, an example that I have of this is when I, a person would go down to a uh, community bank to borrow money and they're refused, and and every time they go to the bank uh, to do something, they're refused and not allowed to do it. So after a while this gives a pessimistic attitude and they have nothing good to say about the bank. They're hurt inside because they want to do things but the bank will not uh, agree with them. They're not looking at why the bank is not doing such and such. They're just saying that they don't like them and that's the reason they're not doing it. And we all know that there's certain conditions that have to be met And so forth. So in the church, there are conditions that have to be met under doctrine of the Bible that are taught, and the church has to operate under these doctrines. And everybody don't understand and accept that, and so it leads to this uh, cynical, uh, pessimistic attitude, which they use in dis, and they distrust or dislike. The church, or what it stands for. So it's it's just these little illusional things which are curable. They can be cured, and there is help. As we said earlier, pessimism and cynicism is indeed a spiritual sickness. But please realize it is not terminal. It is not terminal. It can be repaired. These Christians, even though they are injured in relationship to their faith, can be treated and healed. The Bible refers to the body of Christ as in a human body. Each part of the body has a different purpose and a job. Every part of the body cannot be the same or it would not be useful. A cynical or pessimistic Christian is like a part of a physical body that is not acting correctly. When this happens, we refer to the medical doctor for advice, as we said earlier. And also remember that uh, there are steps or actions we can and usually take that are preventive steps to ensure we are okay and stay healthy. In our physical body, we go to the medical doctor. But in our spiritual body, our Christian life, our doctor is the Holy Bible. It directs our actions on what we should do to prevent spiritual sickness. Wounds heal physically and spiritually. And let's remember pessimism is is the negative side of attitude, which leads to disillusionment, which leads to cynicism, and through preventive steps, we can avoid this from happening. Now, pop Christianity and the gift of disillusionment. Now, we just stated earlier that cynicism, as well as pessimism, was a type of spiritual sickness, and we we did say that earlier. But however, we have come to a point of opportunity to ask this question. Is all cynicism unhealthy? Is it possible to have a form of cynicism or maybe a level of pessimistic pessimistic attitude that could be beneficial? Now, it is true cynicism is very widespread in the church, but it is not the only illness out there. Several of these other elements that are injuring the church are the very means... That promotes cynics and causes them to become cynical or pessimistic. We all know that God does not, nor has He ever changed. The scripture says He is the same uh, yesterday, today, and forever. That's in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. How can we believe this and then change the word to better suit or sp- uh, our Pacific lifestyle? Christians come to church and are sometimes uh, bombarded by an apostate religion of how someone interprets scripture. These church errors lead to confusion and a cynical beginning. More and more people today are simply becoming cynical about politicians also. We become pessimistic uh, against government because... Politicians seem to never come through with the promises they make. Now in the church, many have heard the promises of God through his divine word, but then they hear the new apostate message and become cynical against the word of God, not trusting him and not truly knowing what to believe. Then we also have the belief that if God saves us through his wonderful grace, then I can go ahead and sin and live as I like and God's amazing grace will save me again. And this is what's referred to as a license to sin. Folks, you do not have a license to sin. If you're saved and Christ is within your heart, you're going to sin, but it won't be on purpose. You won't be doing it thinking, you know, with that type of attitude. So many of these other elements that plague the church are the very means by which cynicism gets started. Pop Christianity is a term that appears very often usually referring to the oversimplified simplified theology and the unoriginal direction, which is over-emotional and is widespread through the Western church. This extremely populist populist uh, version of Christianity is purged of complexities, niceties, and darkness, and lacks poetry and emotional breadth. Many illnesses can be identified under the title of pop Christianity to which cynicism has become a common response if a pacific church is specific, uh, spiritually sick then you can fight sickness with sickness this will just promote a mass infection and contagion of disease our churches are in need of corrective voices but the cynical voices will only hurt more than help so now we have to answer this question are there Alternative responses to pop Christianity That can promote healing in the church Can we be discerning Christians Without becoming full-blown cynics? Is there a way to challenge the church More out of love than out of disgust? Yes, there is Pop Christianity is nurtured in the church And as long as Christians are inadvertently Accomplices in spreading the spiritual sickness of cynicism among the pews, which will only spread beyond into a wider culture. The Christian is a living example of Jesus to the unbelieving world. There is only one gospel of salvation. Jesus was so very specific throughout the Bible on how to live and be saved. He also said that the world would fill up with false prophets, and they would say, Many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. That's in Matthew 24, uh, verses 4 through 5. Now, cynicism is a negative term, as we said earlier, but the persons that are in cynicism are referred to as being cynical or cynics. Now, let's look at this particular word, and we will find it is an ancient history from Greece. And the word is cynic. It's a member of a school of ancient Greek philosophers founded by Antisthenes, marked by an ostinatious contempt for ease and pleasure. The movement flourished in the 3rd century B.C. and revived in the 1st century A.D. Now we need to come to God seeking forgiveness for the negativity of towards God's children in Jesus' church. We need to stop franchising cynicism through the apostasy against the church. We need to actively seek the rehabilitation of those already diagnosed as cynics. Then we would uh, secure an army of voices within our own ranks that can provide brilliant insights which if tempted with love, tempered with love, uh, could possibly lead to the Reformation and renewal, which the Western Church so desperately desperately needs. This is because Christians who have been disillusioned are among the most discerning people in the church. Disillusionment is is illumination. Those moments of painful discovery are revelatory experiences from which others could benefit. Just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and with ourselves. Only that fellowship which faces such disillusionment with all its unhappy and ugly aspects begins to be what it should be in God's sight. Begins to grasp in faith the promises that is given to it. The sooner this shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and to a community, the better for both. This great theologian uh, passionately calls us to disillusionment. But for disillusionment to bear its fruit, we have to embrace it without collapsing into cynicism. When we experience hurtful illumination and resist turning cynical, we may realize that we have been entrusted with a tremendous gift that can be used for the edification of the church. See, earlier we were saying these same type of people could be damaged the church, but through proper uh, methods through the Holy Spirit, it can edify the church. If we can manage to find healing and regain our footing A bit after the rug has been ripped out from under us, then we may be used by God to free others from faulty ideas about our faith. Redeemed cynics have much to offer. So we're talking about a person that was was a cynic, corrected himself, was redeemed, and now he is able to edify the church by his experiences. He knows what he is going to be talking about because he's already experienced it. The Apostle Paul's revelatory encounter with Christ in in chapter 9 of Acts disabused him of uh, terrible misconceptions and the degree which the church has benefited from the disillusioning experiences on the Damascus Road is incalculable because you can't measure how great an effect it's had on the world. Before his Uh, disillusionment became beneficial he endured three days of blindness from what we know about Paul's impressive ancestral line and in the knowledge of the Pharisees it does not seem like much of a stretch to suggest that uh, those three days were profoundly miserable for him as the extent of his misunderstanding about God and his faith were exposed at the height of his religious zeal he, he, uh, he made the shocking discovery that he was violently at, at odds with a God. He thought he was serving. After Ananias visited him, and, and however, he was strengthened and uh, rehabilitated enough to evade debilitating modes of cynicism in his legendary ministry as the apostle to the Gentiles. His disillusionment was a gift the benefits of which we are still reaping today. Okay, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. Those prone to cynicism possess insights which the church, sick with populist misconceptions and ridiculous practices, desperately need. These voices will only be helpful, though, if... Like Paul, after his experience with Jesus on Damascus Road, their wounds can be restored to full health. We are in dire need for redeemed cynics to dress their wounds that they may rise up and flourish in the truths revealed to them for the health of the church and for the glory of God. Rising to hopeful realism. Our Bibles are bookended from paradise to... Creation in Genesis one two, then new creation in Revelations twenty one twenty two. We live in between the reality of the original Eden and the restored Eden. Pop Christianity tends to deny the reality of the original Eden's existence, offering overused and unoriginal slogans and cliches that idealize our experience of faith and rightly ring offensive in cynical ears. The attitude of cynicism, in contrast, denies the reality that God has promised new creation, that it is just around the corner, and that is making appearances in, in the here and now through the work of Christ and his spirit. We need to foster a biblical spirituality that embraces the grim reality of our ex-Eden life alone with the joyful reality that God is making all things new. Some folks call this hopeful realism. We need to take an honest look at the number of uh, cliches and trends of pop Christianity that fuel the anxiety and anger of Christian cynicism. We need to identify a number of disappointing isms within the church and need reproof while also considering how cynical responses to those isms are also in need of reproof. For instance, anti-intellectualism, that means not intelligently thinking, thrives in many Christian circles. This is unfortunate, but also unfortunate is intellectual elitism, now that's thinking you're superior, a typical response for many a cynical Christian, and the standard Cynical approaches are counterproductive. In other words, they're counterproductive because they don't help each other, period. There are biblical models for expressing corrective voices alternate to the approach of cynicism. Scripture vividly portrays the people of God as a community prone to wonder and ever in need of renewal and reform. Scripture also offers guidance on the proper means of promoting that renewal and reform. I'm thinking that those prone to cynicism actually have much to offer the church, but there are alternative models of critique rather than cynicism, such as the biblical examples of the prophet, the wise person, and of those uh, tragic poets behind the biblical lament literature. Since no voice is more pressing to hear than the voice of the one who loves the church enough to die for it, we need to look at how Jesus addressed himself in misconceptions and wrestled with his own disappointments with his followers and also with his father. The resurrection of our Lord makes possible for us to embrace hopeful realism instead of cynicism. Paul avoided cynicism while serving dysfunctional local churches. Because of his keen awareness that resurrection changes everything. We may live on the dark eastern edge of Eden, but new creation awaits. And for the hopeful realist who have eyes to see and ears to hear, it keeps bursting into the presence. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ is the answer to everything and every problem that we ever had he always was and always will be that through the resurrection of christ and by believing in him you can be saved and have a a guarantee through god's promise of eternal life consider jesus today accept him believe in him he is the only way to get to heaven the only way to come to the father is through the son We thank you for being here today. We pray that God will richly bless you and all that you do and all your travels and and your uh, activities, that he'll put his hedge of protection around you. And with that, we want to be dismissed, so we'll have a closing prayer. Next time we'll be looking at lesson number nine to be physical and spiritual illness. And then we'll have lesson 10, it's called Causes and Cures. And chapter 11 then is for correction and teaching. Does God use sickness? And then finally, our conclusion and final thoughts will be in lesson number 12. So we still have uh, four lessons to go. We hope that you will join us next time. And we thank you and appreciate you coming today and listening. Hope it was a blessing to you. Father, we thank you for the day. Lord, thank you for your word and for your teaching, Father, through The holy bible and through others that live and and, uh, operate around us lord that you deal with each one of us in different ways father that we share your knowledge that you give us between us and that way we have a stronger foundation for your word and for what is meant here father thank you for jesus and for your salvation for your grace thank you for your love i pray for each one that's listening today lord that you would bless them in a mighty way